Well, good morning. I, uh, I like to take advantage of these times a little bit because uh, I'm new and I'm gonna, I like to fit in little stories so you guys can get to know me a little bit better. And uh, I just hope that sometimes they're relevant. Uh, I've heard pastors that like to give stories and you're like, how did that even connect? I, I mean, I've done it. Uh, I can say I'm, a, I'm third generation in pastors and everyone in my family has done it. So I can blame a fellow DeMott or a Holcomb even if I want. Uh, from probably making that mistake where they tell a story uh, just for sake of telling a story. And I hope I'm not about to do that. But in high school, uh, my high school did what many high schools do your senior year, and they did what are called senior superlatives. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that, but pretty much we let classmates vote on who is the most likely to do this or who does this the most or who's going to be more successful, all these other things, right? And so it becomes this opportunity of... uh, you get to really figure out how people feel about you. So either it's really flattering or really offensive. And I went to a high school. I switched my sophomore year of high school to go to a small Christian school because my mom had gotten a job there. And so my sister and I went there with her. And so I had only been there three years among a class of 14 students who had been together since kindergarten. So let's just put the ball on the tee for me to get destroyed here for a second. And I remember I got voted for two things. One, me and my two buddies were voted the best friends of all of the guys, which meant that they voted for half of us because there was three of us voted in on that category. So I felt bad for the other guys, but it were true. I mean, me and my two buddies at school were pretty much inseparable. We took all of our classes together, et cetera, et cetera. But the other thing I was voted for was most argumentative and teacher's pet. One, not fair, my mom's a teacher. So when you ride to school with a teacher, that's not fair when people are voting for teacher's pet, right? But most argumentative was the one that I was like kind of hit deep a little bit. I was a little bit offended until I just realized how true it was and how much I argue with people. And as I got older, I went to college and I had a buddy of mine who, for whatever reason, uh, he, was, uh, he was an observer and I said, hey, uh, he traveled to ministry teams with me, and I said, what is something you've observed with me, uh, like of me, that I might not know about myself? And he says, you live for discussion, which was his nice way of saying I argue with people. And so what I found out is that I really do argue a lot. And sometimes when yourself is revealed, it doesn't feel great, but you also may realize why you do what you do. And I look at my desire to argue or discuss One, I probably have an unhealthy need to be right, like many of us. And two, I think I just like to hear things explained. And if you can't explain it to me, you're going to get pushback. Because I have this desire to understand how we got from point A to point B. I am, I'm a thinker, I'm not a feeler. And so I'll probably say stuff that offends people. Or the other way I like to say it is I really enjoy conversations of logic, which to me, that means you can explain how we got here. And through just fact, you can convince me that this is true. And so sometimes I read scripture and scripture says a lot of weird things that you can't do that with. As I was reading the passage for today, I kind of felt like Peter takes us through this track, this point A to point B of this is how we got here. This is how we got to the place we are now. And he starts 
right at the beginning of that chapter. And it seems, it seems logical to me, but it also starts with not very good news. Remember that we are built on the reality that Jesus died for our sins. Jesus suffered and died on the cross for our good. That's where we begin, okay? But Peter, knowing his audience, doesn't say that straight up. But he does go straight at suffering. So in 1 Peter 4.1, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And I think, oh, great. I live a kind of comfortable life, which if I just take this verse by itself, doesn't look so good for the sin I might have in my life because it looks like bad things should happen to me because I'm aligned with Jesus. Don't make that mistake. Because often we read verses like this and we think, man, I don't know that I wanna buy into that. But remember, you bought into it because Jesus saves you from your sin. So why do we suffer? Well, use Jesus as the best example, and he suffered and died with zero sin. Jesus lived the perfect life, and the world rejected him. So we suffer as a result of not having sin, which is why it's so difficult to live among other people who don't see the world the way we do, because a lot of our suffering comes from those who don't agree with us. And it makes it worse when you're like me and you like to argue with people. Because people say I'm not right and I say I'm pretty sure I know the truth. Which is not a good way to communicate with people. They don't usually like that. In terms of suffering, we have to have a specific attitude. It says to arm ourselves with an attitude. I don't like to arm myself with an attitude of suffering and thinking that that is what I'm striving to do. But the attitude is not suffering eliminates sin, but instead it's that my lack of sin may bring suffering. Now hold on, because again, I'm not selling this whole thing very well. Sounds pretty rough. But Jesus suffered for his lack of sin. Therefore, buying freedom for us, which means that we may also, to participate in his freedom, participate in his suffering. Which is something that we just have to understand because the Christian life is not meant to be easy, but it is meant to be good. And so Peter continues on in the second verse, right? Sorry, I got ahead of myself because I'm excited. Peter is talking about making decisions that are different than the world, which is why we may suffer. Because Christian life isn't easy, which is why in Matthew, we find the passage that says this in Matthew 7, Verse 13 through 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The world doesn't like who's different. 
That was the problem they had with Jesus. He came and told them, what you think you know isn't what is true. And people don't like being talked to like that. But we know that we are saved from our sin. So we have that perspective. This is like some insider info that you and I have, right? I don't like talking about Christianity like an exclusive club because it's not exclusive. It should be inclusive, but it is a club of people that know the truth. And that's that Jesus loves us and saves us. So Peter starts there and he says, Jesus suffered, but now let's move forward. Once we understand that this isn't going to be easy, we can then move forward in the process. Because we're not supposed to seek out suffering, okay? We make this mistake when we read this verse. That suffering is what cleanses us. Not true. Suffering is what Jesus did in the process of saving us. Different things. So what we shouldn't do is glorify suffering. Instead, We need to make sure that we don't seek out suffering, but seek out what is right, accepting that suffering is a possible side effect. I like to think of it as prescription drug commercials that we see on TV. I think these kind of commercials are sort of hilarious because they have some things just that stick out to me. One, why do they seem like they're all made by the same people? I don't know why every prescription drug company hires the same company to make their commercials because they all look the same. And you move forward and what you find is that they're like, we can help you with this one thing. And then at the end, they rattle off this tremendous list of side effects. And then they're like, if this sounds good to you, ask your doctor. And I think none of those things sound good to me, but, but I don't deal with the first thing. So it's not really fair for me to be the judge of said prescription drug. But that is how the life of the Christian is in terms of our suffering here on earth. We know the good we seek, but the world isn't quite ready. The world doesn't accept it. Therefore, there will be struggles that come along as a side effect to our lack of sin. You buy into Jesus and there will be side effects, but all of them are worth it. Because here's why in 1 Peter 4, 2 through 3, continuing on the immediate next verses, it says, as a result, as a result of you arming yourself with an attitude of partnering with Christ, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. I think he couldn't have picked just worse things for us to think of as ways of the world. Not because they're inaccurate, but because they're just uncomfortable to talk about. But what Peter is saying here is a little bit ironic because he's like, 
You've spent enough time doing what the world does. What he's really saying is you've wasted all this time doing what the world does. And we like to think we don't do those things. Have you ever looked back on your life? Even if you're raised in a Christian home, I bet there's things you regret doing because they were not aligned with Jesus's plan for you. They were not aligned with God's will. Therefore, you did sin. That's why we need Jesus. And we look back and go, yeah, maybe I have spent just enough time doing that. I've wasted enough time on the world. That's what Peter's trying to tell us. He's like, guys, don't you see all these things you wish you hadn't done? How about you stop? Because you're just wasting time. Because time's not unlimited. Instead, leave those things alone. I have a problem when I think of how much time I've wasted on things because the human part of me wants to say all the time I've invested. You have that problem? You ever had a puzzle missing a piece? And now you've invested all this time and you consider making the last piece yourself because it has to be completed? Sometimes when people talk about a bad relationship that someone was in, they're like, they have wasted enough of your time. But sometimes we just need to see things through because we're human and we've invested this time. And Peter's saying, stop thinking that way. It's wasted time because the outcome isn't even something that we want. But instead we keep wasting all this time on things we think are good on things the world thinks is good because they don't understand Jesus. And for this, we will find trouble because when you decide that you're not going to act like all of the people we hang around, when you're not going to act the way that maybe your friends do, you're not going to act the way that most of the world does. What's going to happen is they're not going to understand. Peter uses these words. He says in verse four, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. You know why they're surprised? Because they would not describe themselves as reckless and wild. Which is part of the reason we know that Peter's talking to us in this room, because he says, you understand that this behavior is reckless and wild. We decide to stop doing it because it's not worth our time. But our definition of value is so different from the world that the world looks at us and goes, whoa, they're, they're the ones wasting their time, not enjoying all of the things of the world. Peter could have made his list very different. Peter could have said, stop eating so much dessert. Stop going on so many dates for no good reason whatsoever. Stop wasting all your time just enjoying yourself. Because that's how other people would have heard that list. Because those things weren't bad. They were entertainment. And when you say, no, your entertainment isn't entertaining to me. People are going to get on your case about it. 
I'm sure each and every one of us in this room, if we are open enough about our faith, will have found ridicule by people. I've found it. I'm sure you found it. And what we find is that our reaction to the ridicule actually shows exactly who we serve. Because it's at this point, from point A to point B, that we have to decide if I'm going to serve God or man. Because who you serve defines whose opinion matters to you. So when you get ridiculed by the world, doesn't matter. Why? Because their opinion isn't what we've decided to care about. Jesus really, really cared about what everyone thought about him. He'd have changed his behavior. But instead he said, no, I know the plan. Let's carry it out. And we can have faith in this because he moves on in verse five. And he says, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter's like, this is our secret that we've tried really hard not to keep secret. We all have to face God in the end. And this isn't so much about judgment, but it's the fact that we understand that there is an eternal life out there for us to receive. And that is worth a few measly years on earth of the world not understanding us. But we struggle with that because it's not happening right now. I would love to be fully engulfed in God's presence right now so that I didn't have to struggle through this life because the next one's supposed to be so much greater than this one. But we do because we really want to reach these people that ridicule us, which is why we suffer. See how this all lines up? And he ends with a relatively confusing verse here in verse six, or I'm going to end with verse six. Peter has more to say, and that's why there's more weeks to come. But first Peter four, six, it says, for this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. This is a verse that I will admit, I'm sure I have read before and thought there is a lot in there that I don't understand. And I read on to verse seven. I'm sure we all can admit that we read the Bible like that, partly because there's things in the Bible that we just can't understand. But as I was reading about this, I found that there's a specific detail up for question in this verse that there's a lot of interpretation to. The Bible's open to interpretation, which a lot of the times is why we argue amongst each other in this room. But there's a, a specific interpretation of this verse that's most popular. Because he says a weird phrase. He says, 
The gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. Who's Peter talking about? There's many options out there. But one of them, the most popular among different scholars that I read from, not an extensive knowledge, had one that answered a couple questions that I have heard asked and I have heard unanswered. The first question is, what happens to all of the people who died before Jesus came and saved us? You know, there's a lot of history before then. The entire Old Testament is full of people that supposedly lived for God, but didn't have this opportunity to be cleansed of their sin as Jesus cleanses us. Their life was different. And the second is, in a number of different words, what was Jesus doing for three days? Could it be that Jesus himself preached to those already dead so that all those who had lived before and will live have an opportunity? That sounds an awful lot like the gospel of Jesus to me. That sounds like a pretty good reason to say, I'll take the suffering of this world if I can go try to save everyone. There are souls to be saved. There's a gospel to be preached. That's what Jesus lived for. That's what he died for. And that's what he resurrected for. Makes his suffering seem really worth it now. If he could take the gospel to everyone. And it's at this point that I realize a flaw in the way that my brain operates. Because I can connect the dots. As I hope many of you can, that Jesus saves me from my sins. Jesus loves me. God wants to take care of me. Therefore, I should live for him. That makes total sense. I can get there. That's logical based on the truth that I believe. I'm there. But why don't my actions follow through? You ever done something that you just knew was wrong? And you can't figure out why you did it? Because you know the truth? You know what's good for you? I fall into that all the time. And the answer is the end of that verse. Because they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the spirit. At a certain point, it doesn't matter if we can make sense of it. What really matters is that God can so shape our spirit that it shapes us in our actions. Because Peter can take these six powerful verses and say, doesn't it make sense I've convinced you, he convinced me, that suffering for Jesus makes total sense because eternal life with God the Father sounds pretty good. That's logical. Yet, I don't always act like it. Why? Because it's not about figuring it out. It's about seeking God and shaping our spirit. 
which is why we spent time talking about spiritual disciplines and why we don't always spend time just telling people that Jesus died for them. This is why when we go out into the world and say, you're wrong, let me tell you why I'm right, that they don't get it. That's why we don't get it. Because our flesh is so broken, we're incapable without God's work in us. So here's my challenge today. If you're like me and many of your life, much of your life, you've lived and you know that God is for you and Jesus has saved you, but yet your actions don't always follow that. This is my challenge. Stop trying to figure out God, but figure out how to be closer to him. I make this mistake probably every day, multiple times a day. I want to know more knowledge about him, but that doesn't always mean I know him better. And if I don't know him, everything that I've already convinced myself of falls to the wayside because we do things for those we care about. So we have to find God and seek him. And when we do this, our spirit will then be convinced that this is the truth and this is what we live for. And the hard Christian life that Peter talks about will be a blip in the rearview mirror because God's out in front of me and all, I don't want anything more than to seek him with my whole life. We got to stop doing so much work to figure him out and just seek him in a relationship with him. We can't understand him. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this day. And God, I thank you for giving us your word and enough insight into the way that you, you work for those of us who need to understand to have an opportunity to try to do so. But God, I also pray that when we don't understand, when the world doesn't make sense to us, when our actions don't even make sense to us, that we seek you more and more. And we find a relationship with you. so that our entire life can be changed. Because then, and only then, can we live our life as you've desired. And I thank you for that opportunity. I pray all this in your name. Amen.